If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 13 and 14. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Um, if you're wondering who this strange fellow in the back is, it's um, my dear friend from college, Mark. <laughs> no worries. The singular truth that I want to impress on your minds and hearts this morning is that God the Spirit dwells within you, really and concretely. Not all people, but you who have all been baptized, who presently believe in the Lord. The third person of the Trinity... God himself lives within you. There's a um, fourth century baptismal rite where uh, it directs the bishop at the baptism to point um, to the deacon who's holding the, the child or shoulder, hand on the shoulder of the adult and to say, impart to him the Trinity. If we grip that fact, the objective realness of it, this isn't something we're conjuring to ourselves, um, as real as our blood is within our bodies, the Spirit lives within us. If we really grip it, um, that's what I think catalyzes the Christian life from being just this sort of collection of ideas and rules into this thing, this real thing that we are participating in with our whole lives. Romans 8.11 says it very plainly, God's Spirit dwells in you. And just as um, Christ's mission on earth, he came with a mission to die for our sins and be raised again, the Spirit, too, has a mission, and his mission is to guide our steps into the way of Christ. Our steps, of course, being a metaphor for our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. In other words, the Spirit's mission is to sanctify us. We all know this uh, doesn't happen automatically. We don't accept Christ at some point and then pay no attention to that um, acceptance and ten years later kind of emerge from some cocoon as like the next St. Francis. In God's providence, he has actually assigned each of us to, to participate, to um, collaborate with his own work in us. To give us he's given us a small secondary role uh, in his sanctifying of our life. Now, it turns out when we really zoom out and look at it, really that's still him working within us. The credit goes to God uh, on every side. But our active will um, remains essential. In order then to be sanctified, in order to live a life that, to use the language of Romans 8, is led by the Spirit, in order to live, which is the word Paul uses in Romans 8.13, to live in the way that God is alive, not just biological life, but to be truly alive, we actually have to do something. Paul tells us very plainly, we must put to death the deeds of the body. Put to death the deeds of the body. You might be wondering, well, what falls under that category? What are the deeds of the body? Um, almost always, if conscience brings something to mind, uh, that is the spirit, that, I, that probably is a deed of the body, if there's something on your mind. But just in case the conscience is feeling a bit rusty, St. Paul actually gives us a really handy list in Galatians 5.19. He says, now the works of the flesh, kind of you can hear the synonym between deeds of the body, works of the flesh, are evident. Sexual immorality, which he puts in the number one spot, right? Non-coincidentally, um, perhaps the most uh, frequent 
uh, deeds of the body. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, and orgies. Take that whole list. You can collapse it into four categories for easier th sort of self-examination. Sexual sins, divisiveness, partying, and idolatry. So we, let's take that list and plug it back in to what we just heard from Romans 8.13. God is telling us through Paul, put to death sexual sins. Put to death divisiveness. And note the intensity of the language, which is really striking. It's not wrestle with, struggle with, make parlay with, put to death. The old language, of course, from King James, mortify. So we get this idea of mortification. Vanquish would be a fine gloss. How do we do that? Um, <clears throat> whereas it's essential that we have a good will to do that, we actually must say, yeah, okay, that's what I want to do. A good will is actually not enough to accomplish the putting to death of the deeds of the flesh. You can try your absolute hardest to do this and you will not find success. And I know that because this is a big part of my story that for 12 years, I tried to heed the scripture of putting to death the flesh um, by the exertion of my own will, by sort of, I'm gonna to strive towards being virtuous. I'm gonna really do this. And for 12 years, um, unbroken sequences of failure I wish I'd have learned earlier, but it's actually pride that is a slow learner in this case. But Paul tells us actually right here that the only way that it's possible, the full verse isn't just put to death the deeds of the body, it's by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body. By the Spirit, that's the instrumental cause. <clears throat> the Spirit, of course, which isn't out, like, out there, the indwelling Spirit. The indwelling Spirit alone is strong enough to vanquish the deeds of the body. And only if the deeds of the body are vanquished can we then go on to be led and transformed by the Spirit. It's a marvelous circle, the Christian life. It begins with the Spirit, it's the Spirit in the middle, and now it's the Spirit at the end. And the only way that we can recruit the power of the Spirit, because again, it doesn't happen automatically, right? The Spirit doesn't just crush sins in us. The only way we can recruit His power is by prayer, earnest prayer. It's the only thing we can and must do to ask God the Spirit to conquer our flesh, to ask Him in times of temptation, before times of temptation, at any time, frequently and earnestly. If we ask Him, He will conquer. God actually prophesied, well, God didn't prophesy, Moses prophesied the message of God in Exodus 14, 14. The Lord Himself will fight for you you need only to be still. You know, um, God gave that word to Moses in the face of very literal enemies. It continues to be true in the face of spiritual enemies that we need to be still, still enough to pray, right, to be able to ask God. When after 12 years of lost battles, I finally started to rely only on the Lord and only on prayer when it came to deeds of the flesh, Finally, the, the battle began to be won for the first time. Thanks be to God. Put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. Then you can be led by the Spirit. I think so often, what something I see 
uh, in many instances, <clears throat> thankfully not so many in this church, but in Christianity generally around the country, is kind of putting the cup before the horse. So many Christians, especially young Christians, <clears throat> um, really long to know the mind of God, to plumb the deep truths of theology, to discern what their specific call and vocation is in the kingdom of God, without first attending to the war bet between the flesh and the spirit. But there actually is a real order to these things. We will never be able to penetrate into the riches of theology and life in God if we don't first attend to putting to death the deeds of the body. We do that and then we're led by the spirit. We must walk before we run. But if we invoke, if we petition the spirit to conquer the deeds of the flesh, and he does that work in us, then we are free to be led. Led by his word, rightly interpreted. Anyone can read the Bible, but to understand it requires the clear conscience purified by the Spirit. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, um, the Spirit interprets spiritual things to the spiritual. Right? It's actually, to get the Bible right, as Jesus says, to receive the word and understand it is a mystical act in itself. We can be led by the suggestions that the Spirit makes to our own soul. and. He does this at every layer of our being. We are deep creatures. He can suggest thoughts to our mind, good thoughts. He can suggest good motions to our will, things to our spirit that we should be praying for. Um, I feel like sometimes we've swallowed 20th century psychology uh, too much as if like we, our, our minds are only our own. But if we have the spirit living within us and something good kind of bubbles up, do you think that came from our rotten heart? No, right? That's the spirit suggesting it often to the mind. We can be led then in such a way that by degrees our life actually begins to resemble Christ's life as he lived it on earth, as we see it recorded in the Gospels. We can start to carry ourselves more and more towards God uh, and towards each other the way Jesus did and does. In other words, we are sons like the Son. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You have received the Spirit of adoption as sons, Romans 8.15. Which means as a matter of identity, we are already sons in the Son. And by the leading of the Spirit, our lives start to look more and more Son-like. Of course, even though the language here is male, sons, uh, it's not just for men, of course. But men and women alike are hidden within the Son. And, and actually, um, Paul goes on to expand and he says, we are children of God. Right? The, the gender neutral term, children. We are children of God. It's actually a fascinating mystery that I think um, kind of endlessly plumbable. The way in which God chose to reveal something about what it means to be a human before him through both male and female. That on the one hand, whether you're a man or a woman, we're all in the sun, sort of masculine, right? But then we are all in the church, which is also the bride of Christ, feminine. That we have something to, all humans, we have something to learn through both masculine and feminine for our own identity in God. But let me stick with the comprehensive term. We are children of God. Try and let that sink in just a little bit, that you are a child of God. It's a truth that we hear with our ears when we're kids. But uh, I don't think it sinks very deep for many, many Christians. 
when you look up to the sky and you kind of see with the eye of faith the creator of the universe, you're looking at your dad. It's not just poetry. It's not a sort of idea for the sentimental. This isn't, the, Romans 8 is saying, this is an objective reality. That, that's your father, your dad in heaven. Your Abba, your own dear father. Correspondingly, if we're sons, uh, he's the father. He loves you as his own child. You're his because you, he has given you his spirit. And in that transaction, you got adopted. So you have a biological family. You're a Shanaoth or a Nacrelli or a Clemens. Um, but part of Christ, being a Christian is, in a way, that's kind of like a supra last name. We have been adopted into God's family. And just about every problem in the Christian life, whether it's a theological conundrum or a moral choice, it's greatly assisted, or if not resolved, when we really grip this truth. So can a son ever earn his status as a son? That's already given, right? We sort of have the, the axe that would take, that gets to the root of any false works righteousness. But on the same side, would one who loves his father desire what the father has forbidden? No. We have a moral directive. Even beyond problem solving, when we truly understand that each of us has personally been given the spirit of sonship, it opens up the way of love as Christians relating to God. That in following God, it's not just the obedience of a servant, um, it's not just the submissiveness of a subject. It's a child talking to his or her father. A relationship that ultimately should become warm and friendly and safe and good. It's not just sentimental. The word Abba, such a tender word, used uniquely uh, in the New Testament to describe God. No Jewish writing ever called God Abba. Father may be Av. But Ava, the Aramaic word, is the tender word for father, Abba. What's being proposed in this simple word Abba, this idea of adoption as sons, is that um, relating to God the Father in prayer can begin to approximate the feeling of a great big bear hug from dad when he's crazy about you. Earthly fathers, you know, that, it's always a, a mixed bag. Think about the times when you just know that, like, man, Dad loves me. Like all those great family vacations or times together, or maybe a small thing. But with a big bear hug, your father loves you. And we can feel warm and, and comforted just by the fact of that relationship. In fact, we can respond to him with the tender word, Abba, Father. I love how often, you know, Christian prayer has always... Um, orbited around the address of Father, right? Ever since the Lord taught us the Our Father, I mean, you'll catch it when we pray the Eucharistic liturgy in just a moment. All the prayers, Father, Heavenly Father, Father. It's a warm and wonderful relationship that we've been given through His Spirit. Amen.